0: Says,
1: get that India, big boy. what a shot! What a shot! killer. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. I'm your host, John, also known as Forty Twenty, here to talk all things footy and all things para. Joining me, as always, is my. Offside of 60s, 60s mate, always a pleasure. How are you doing in these lockdown times?
0: Well, a bit like you, I imagine I'm missing my live footy and we're going to talk about getting to games and grounds and uh, just going to have a bit of a chat about uh, venues a little bit later. But um, certainly, as I said, missing getting to the games, missing getting to uh, training and seeing what's being going on around the team because that's I always enjoy going to do that because it's a bit like I would imagine watching horses at track workers like you Mm. you see what they're working on you see what the general form is like the vibe in the team Um, whether there's a bit of a form guide going into the match for how the prep's been for the week so I'm missing that but apart from that there's never any shortage of Parramatta news going on never any shortage of rugby league news so uh, as always plenty to chat about.
1: And this is the preview edition of the podcast. So we reviewed the solid victory we had over the Titans, which started the Parramatta's uh, Queensland Odyssey and, and started the entire NRL Queensland Odyssey. The Eels actually kicked off the entire process post-Origin 3. Uh, and they're going to do the same this week. They're leading off on Thursday night, taking on the Canberra Raiders. Uh, Ricky's Raiders, a little bit battle-worn and uh, down on troops at the moment. We'll get through that in one second. But let's um,
0: mate, just before, just before we uh, talk about the... Uh, team lists and the and the preview. Just on that, with regard to the Queensland Odyssey, I, I thought there was a couple of, uh, I suppose, polar opposite views that were taken of the experience by Brad Arthur and uh, his good mate, Adam O'Brien. Yeah, that, that is very knight. interesting,
1: the contrast, yeah.
0: Um, oh, very contrasting. There's, uh, we had Brad Arthur looking at it as um, – this is a, a whole new experience mm-hmm. for us. It's like kick a new competition and we're really keen to make an impression. Yeah, with a real, this.
1: real springboard opportunity for the Eels.
0: Yep. yep, and then you had Adam O'Brien who is just had that negative outlook on it and there's been discussion since then that, maybe he's just trying to shield the players but i don't know we're not when you've got your club's coach just speaking so down and out and negatively about that whole experience of relocating and moving for these games i don't know, it doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence if i was supporting the knights
1: yeah especially when the knights they're sitting in tenth but they've got an equal claim of a spot it's just for and against that's keeping them behind the cronulla sharks they're right in the thick of this so you don't want to be making excuses. You want them to be fired up and, and to be accountable for all their, you know, their losses. And this is something that Brad has always been true to. It's one of his real convictions when it comes to football is that he never made excuses for the playing group when things were bad, when things were good, when the refereeing was bad, when we made our own, like when it was our mistakes that cost us the game. He'd always lay the accountability on himself and the playing group. And I think that's what's helped facilitate the growth of our team into a top four contender consistently.
0: Yeah, but was uh, it my imagination, Did you did you view Adam O'Brien's po- I know they'll post match comments after a, a a big loss, but did you sort of view it like almost a defeatist?
1: Yeah. The, the, the way the way they translated it was uh we can't compete. Like we we just, we can't match it with Melbourne, with Penrith, with Parramatta and South Sydney. Uh, it really really felt that way that you know, he just knows he hasn't got the cattle and For some reason, he felt like uh, conveying that publicly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a little bit of a sidelight on uh, different uh, attitudes of coaches with the move up north, but uh, we do have plenty to get through. So, sorry for that little bit of a sidetrack there, mate. uh,
1: A good discussion point there, and especially considering the the fact that uh, O'Brien and Arthur are so close, and O'Brien actually comes from the Arthur School of Coaching, if anything.
0: Yeah, well, um, he basically took him from the south coast of New South Wales when he was coaching down there. up up to uh townsville and then uh down to uh melbourne and um yeah he's very very close uh mates and um uh yeah you would have would have thought that there might have been as given that on top of their similar paths that they've uh that they've walked along together that also another part of it was that melbourne storm experience and um, but yeah, it just seems like uh, O'Brien is light years away from the philosophies that he would have been exposed to mm-hmm. in the past.
1: It, it feels like that New South Wales, New South Wales, Newcastle Chalice might be a little bit poisoned as well. Um, multiple yeah, coaches perhaps, now have, have really struggled there, despite clearly a talented roster. You know, you talk about Caelan Ponga, David Clemmer, uh, Mitchell Pierce, uh, Connor Watson, and you know a whole whole raft of players. Bradman best, uh, the lock forward Fitzgibbon, I think it is. Uh, is it Fitzgibbon or uh, something to that na- that nature? A whole lot of like plus caliber players and they're just not performing consistently, but yeah. Yep, yep. But let's talk Parramatta, mate. And the Eels are taking on the Raiders as we alluded to earlier in the intro to this podcast. It is 4v9. The Eels looking to uh, climb back up into contention for a top three or two finish. Obviously, top four is still the goal in general, but you want to go as high as you can. But Ricky's Raiders, significantly down in troops this week. Uh, No Jack White, no Xavier Savage, the young rookie who's been really impressive over the last couple of games. No Elliot Whitehead. So they are missing some big-time players, a big-time rookie as well. But they'll look like this on Thursday night with Jordan Rappiner wearing the number one and moving from wing to fullback. On the flanks is Harley Smith Shields, a very talented young kid, and uh, Semi Valame. In the centres, captain of the team, Jared Croker, partnered by Sebastian Chris on the other side of the field. Uh, Matt Frawley and Sam Williams will have the responsibility of leading the team around the park in the absence of Jack Whiten. In the front row, Josh Papali'i, Emre Gula, bookending Josh Hodgson. Back row, it looks like this. Corey harawira naira Hudson Young, and Ryan Sutton locking the forward pack. On the bench, the dynamic Tom Starling will be a fret out of dummy half, working in relief of Josh Hodgson. Matthew Tomoko, Isaiah Soliola, and Joseph Tapanay round out their four-man rotation. Extended roster features Caleb Aikens, Ryan James, Saliva Havili, and one-time Eels prospect Trey Mooney. So he's getting closer to an NRL debut, it looks like. Then for the Eels, Quentin Gufferson is always captain and fullback. Now he's starting the changes in the backline 60s. Exciting stuff. So Marcus Seva will be on the left flank as always. Wonga Blake will be partnering him at left center, presumably. But Tom Opachuk has been given the week off for personal leave. And Blake Ferguson given an NRL recall. So that's not the exciting thing, really, because you know, Blake, long time out of first grade. I think it's six or seven weeks now, mate. It's been made a big deal about in the press. Hey, he starts to unlucky to miss out, but Eels obviously looking to get Fergo firing ahead of the, the postseason. But Will Pennicini, the rookie, comes in this week to make his debut, to mark it as the uh, third Parramatta Eels Junior this year to debut and the third of the uh, Rouse Hill Rhinos boys. So uh, Will, a very talented youngster. We'll get to that in a lengthy uh, talk in just a second, but we'll go through the team list as it remains. Uh, Dylan Brown will partner Jake Arthur in the halves, Mitchell Moses with a broken back out of state of origin three, which isn't as bad as it sounds. Uh, he broke his back within the first 10 minutes of that contest, played through for the rest of the contest, uh, laying on or, or assisting all of New South Wales points in that process in a very courageous effort. But evidently it's more of a pain management thing. Uh, it's not, you know, he's not going to have not going to walk or not going to be able to play properly. Ever again, it's just going to be taking care of him. And I think there was a notion that he might have been able to play this week, but the club is sort of you know, taking the uh, cautionary side, as you'd understand, given it's your blue chip halfback, and putting him on ice for the week. So Jake Arthur gets another start this year. Then in the front row, full strength, big time uh, news for the Eels Reagan Campbell Gillard, Junior Paulo, and Reed Marnie, 8, 9, and 10. Isaiah Papa Lee Ryan Madison, and Nathan Brown round out a full strength starting pack. That's huge for the blue and gold. On the bench, Maradoni Kore is in the 14, followed by Sean Lane, Oregon Kafusi, and Will Smith as a utility. Bryce Cartwright drops back to the shadow bench, where he's joined by Hayes Dunster, Makahesi Makatoa, and Joey Lussick. So lots of changes for both teams, mate. Big news on both sides. Obviously, no Jack White, and no Elliot Whitehead, and no Xavier Savage. Uh, massive downgrades for the Raiders. But they still got the business done against Cronulla last week. And for the Eels, no Mitchell Moses, a huge loss, but we managed to win against a... What is seen as an up and coming team in the Titans pretty comfortably without him. Uh, Junior Paul, obviously, being back is huge, but got the rookie, Will Pennicini, the guy that everyone's been asking about for a long time, the guy that's been dominating New South Wales Cup. Where do you want to start discussions with this team, with, mate? Because there is plenty to unpack.
0: Well, mate, I'd, I was getting whispers that Will was very close to a debut, and this was within the last two weeks. So I was starting to get a few whispers about that. And, I, and then last week when we saw in the sheds, uh, when the victory song was on and we had Oregon and Dylan dragging Will into the, the huddle to, for the, uh, for the uh, victory song in the sheds, and I thought, OK, they're really doing their best to make him feel like he's part of this team. And I just had that suspicion that it was going to be this week because when you look ahead and that run that the Eels have got – I don't know that there's too many other opportunities where you necessarily want to be blooding a, a young junior coming through against the likes of the Roosters or the Storm or South or Penrith uh, or Manly. It's just a it's it's one of those we've spoken earlier in the season about the horror run that Parramatta's got at the back end of the season, and that's uh, certainly that's there. So uh, it's probably this was probably going to be the game that they looked at maybe they might have looked at the Cowboys game as well as an opportunity but possibly by then they want to really be getting the combinations right as they come into the that uh, final series now I just want to run through some stats that have been there about Will in uh, the report that I did on the New South Wales Cup and I've also had it up on, the, uh, on our Instagram page, if there's any followers out there that listening to the podcast that aren't aware, we do have a, a TCT Instagram page. Uh, now, these are the stats from Will for this year thus far in New South Wales Cup. 1,960 run metres, which places him fourth overall for run metres in the New South Wales Cup. 192 total runs which places him third across all of the New South Wales Cup. Here's a big one, 769 post-contact metres, which places him second in the New South Wales Cup. Now, that's from a centre. So a centre having the second most post-contact metres in the competition, that's huge. And 36 tackle breaks, which makes him the leading Eels player in the New South Wales Cup for uh, tackle breaks. So, uh, yes, we get to welcome him as eel number 819. And those are some exciting stats to come in. And I think it was fair to say that this has been something that he's been building because in in his first few games in New South Wales Cup, he was very much finding his feet, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if you were on the same page with me. No, on, I,
1: I um, agree. You could see the talent. You could see the, the ability to impact the game, but he was still finding his feet
0: 100%. Yeah, so he's he's really settled into um, form that's not just consistent, but it's it's had big moments in games. So he's earned his call-up. To me, he's um, when you look at him running out there, there's a little bit of similarity between he and uh, Michael Jennings in um, that really quick stepping footwork and that ability to beat a player one on one. And we've seen evidence of that, uh, not just, uh, but then again, it's not just with that, uh, with his footwork and a uh, pretty good pace off the mark, it's the physicality as well of pushing through tackles. Yeah. So he's, he's quite the prospect.
1: I think the big thing for me is if you go back and look at our season in the New South Wales Cup, and the was obviously having a, a very good year prior to the suspension of the competition in outright second. If you sort of put a, a nice, nice little division in our season halfway through, and I think that mark sort of falls after we beat the Rabbitohs by 38-20, and in that game he took on Tao Tao and had a, a good running battle where Monga got plenty on him, and I think he missed five tackles in that game looking at the stats here. Since since then, he has averaged nearly 16 tackles a game, which is huge for a center. Uh, So he's got 13, 20, 18, 21, 12, 16, and 10, which averages out at 15.71 tackles. So just shy of 16. And he has missed three tackles. Not not an average of three. He has missed three tackles across seven games since then. He has come on in leaps and bounds defensively. In that same period, he's averaged nearly 200 metres a game, uh, a handful of tackle busts a game, a try assist every now and then, a try. He has just come on massively in the back half of that New South Wales Cup season, and he is primed for this debut. He has earned it.
0: A uh, question for you, mate, and this is lingering in the back of my mind. He changed sides of the field. Correct. Uh, Did that side with around that time? That
1: might have because... Uh, it might have been right about then, uh, if not, maybe a game or th- there might be a game or two overlap, um, because he swapped sides. I think when Fergus went back to New South Wales Cup, so that would have been uh, Fergus' first foray would have been, gosh, what game? What game did Fergus play for his first cup game for?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. He's been out for about six or seven yeah, weeks, but something. I'm. Uh, but if, if I'm, it, it is, very, I'm correct. It is very he was post. playing. Yeah. Will was playing the right side. He started right, right side center, uh, switch left, and Great. then he switched to the left. And I'm uh, we, um we, we were at that game against South Sydney, and I'm I'm sure he was playing the right hand side. Because I can remember the uh, that yeah, duel that went on all game and then, game, and
1: then ta-tau in ta-tau got Simbin at the end of the game for Mau. That's
0: North, right. That's yeah. right. And it was on the far side of the field. Correct. Correct. With yeah. the uh, with the um so he was, in the corner right in that game. and it was yeah, yeah. So we yeah, it was definitely uh, he was definitely playing uh, right side in that particular game. And I remember we got, had a chance to speak to him after the game and asked him about uh, <laughs> about the incident of Moga being uh sent from the field He, i remember him shaking his head and just saying he just he never he never stopped going at the uh at the ref at the sideline official or all, all match but um, <laughs> yeah the interesting thing i think from memory was that mogul was he was at the sideline official match, but then also apologising. He'd have a shot and then he'd go, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, he has been on an upwards trajectory by some margin and he has earned this call-up and obviously it comes at Tom's expense where he gets some personal leave, uh, dating back to that you know, incident that we, we all found out about a few weeks ago, which is very unfortunate. But a huge opportunity for Will. And like you said, 60s, the window for him to play... Was sort of closing because we do have that murderers row of teams going to verse. So it was sort of this week or maybe the Cowboys game. Um, and I'm really glad he got the opportunity because if he kills it now, he then gives Brie a, a great uh, a great problem to have in that Tom will come back into the starting team. But if something goes wrong, he knows he can call upon Will Pennisi.
0: Exactly. Yeah it's it's good to know that you've uh, if you've blooded someone, just what their capacity is. To be able to lift to that standard. So uh, I'll tell you and, and as
1: well. The the oh. pres- the pressure's on him, mate. You know why? Jacob Arthur, what? round ten, magic round, scores a try on debut. Sean Russell, uh, up against the Bulldogs in round, uh round uh there we go, round fifteen scores a double on debut. Will Pennsini on debut round nineteen versus the Canberra Raiders. He's got to score a triple, mate. He's got to get a hat trick.
0: <laughs> I was about to ask whether you're uh, tipping a hat-trick on that I wonder if uh, I should include him as Anil's tri-scorer in the punting tip this week. <laughs> so um, that was...
1: Uh, well, he's going to play right edge because he's working in relief of Tom Opachuk. And I, I can't imagine he was going to partner Blake Ferguson and Wanga Blake back up again and completely mess up their back line because has had a nice combination of Micah on the left. The right edge really shined against the Gold Coast Titans in that first half. Uh, we took all of our fast play the balls down that side with Ryan Madison and Dylan Brown really playing up tempo footy, a bit of offloading and second phase ball, opening up the Titans. So he's down that side. He could get some opportunities to really get downhill against the Raiders.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'm sure as um, I think Dylan refers to um, uh, to Will as nephew. Uh, my, whether, he's, whether he calls him uncle or, or what, I'm, I'm not sure. It is their little, um, little nicknames or terms of endearment? But um, uh, let's see how Dylan goes looking after his uh, his nephew there on the on that right side. It, look, it's I think it's a fantastic story that we've been able to debut these young players this year, and it's a mark of, I suppose, the faith that we've got in the pathways players that are coming through and their ability to adjust in their first season to be able to make their debuts. Now, I think it's very important that we make a distinction here because at no stage have we suggested or has the coach suggested that any of these players are ready to be regular first-grade players. They're coming in to do a job for a match. So they're getting that exposure. Even Jake who's now playing what's this his fifth game in the NRL this weekend. It'd be right for it, yeah. The pe- people have have uh, been people who've been saying to me he's he's 2 to 3 years away from being first grade. Well that may well be the case. He might be I another mean, two seasons Brad, before he's a regular first grader.
1: Brad has freely admitted in media talk that Jake has gotten a lot more football than they expected this year because of circumstance.
0: Because yeah, absolutely because Dylan Brown
1: getting suspended, Mitchell Moses getting injured. And you know, he's been thrown to the wolves a little bit and it'll be better for it. But make no mistake, the club aren't treating him like he is a seasoned first grader ready to take over right now. This is necessity that has facilitated his promotion to the NRL.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, anyone that says to me, Oh, you've got to be kidding, he's playing Jake Arthur. Jake's Jake's nowhere near ready to be a first grader. He's two years away from being a first grader. Hey as I said, I'm not gonna disagree that to be a to be playing the full season in first grade, he might be two years away from that. He might not be a regular first grader until 2023. I, I in fact that was that was what I was seeing when I was projecting when he'd be ready. I to be honest, I didn't know that he was going to get a a taste of first grade this year. I thought on his on his pathway that he might start to get a sample of that. Uh, next year. Mm-hmm. I did expect Will Pennicini to maybe get a taste he, this he year was the one that Will I think we all agreed on. Yeah. Will is physically a bigger specimen than Sean Russell and right. Jake Arthur. Yeah,
1: Will looks like he's cut like he's cut out the play first grade right now physically. And you know, yeah huge huge difference between the three of them in that regard. But the Eels did a very good job nurturing Sean Russell in his game, making sure that he had the opportunities to play to his advantages with his speed yeah. and his elusiveness. And for the most yeah. part, the Eels done a good job of protecting Jake Arthur. I think Manley got after him a little bit in our loss there. But that that's the nature of playing in the halves, isn't it? You can only protect them so much. So yeah. Jake, Jake will take on board very well what he's learned this year. But in, in Will's case, there, there's almost a, a burden of expectation because of his physical development, and also his dominance in the New South Wales Cup. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he goes. He marks up against Jared Croker, who will test him in defense. Uh, Croker, a very wily operator of the ball in hand, but also a bit of a liability defensively, which might mean some opportunities for Will to really impose his authority there. So very exciting in that regard. And obviously he's going to tee up with Blake Ferguson. We're going to have to hold our breaths on how that goes defensively, although the presence of both Madison and Dylan Brown will help that edge significantly in that regard.
0: Mate, I've got a I've got a question for you, just moving on a little bit from that. Um, uh, not that long ago, and it would have been one of the uh, last matches, or it was certainly the last match that we covered in our uh, New South Wales Cup calls, the Eels played Canberra. And I'm sure that in that match, we had... Jake Arthur and um, uh, Rankin lining up against the Har- the Canberra Harves. That are you might be tomorrow.
1: right about that. Yeah, you might be spot on. Uh, going back, just trying to find the game now, you might be 100% bang on about that one. Uh, gosh, how far back do we have to go, though?
0: Goodness. Oh, I'm thinking it was, was it about round 14? Something like that. And if I recall the eels got uh, won that game at Ringrose Park, but it was Jake Arthur and Jordan Rankin and I'm sure it was against um, Frawley and um, uh, And what's the halves name again for the uh, Sam, Raiders? Sam um, Williams? Sorry, Sam Williams. Sam Williams. Yeah, I'm sure they were the halves. We played, that them, no, we, we
1: played them at the start of our season at Ring Rose. Yeah. So that was round two. And then we also went to GIO and lost to them. But yes, we did play them round two. And that's the game I believe you're thinking of.
0: Was it? I, I thought there was yeah, a yeah. Uh, more recent. Was, I thought it was
1: more recent too. But no, it's round two and round six, I think. Yeah, round two, round six. So we split the, the games against them. Uh, a narrow win and a narrow loss.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I I just had it that there was a, a more recent uh, game that was played between the two teams. So there you go. That's what that's what the uh, old memories getting like. <laughs> but uh, I I just had this recollection of them uh, lining up against uh, the the halves partners. So um, there you go. That's how quick the season goes. <laughs> losing losing track of um, of that time with the um, uh with round 2 my goodness that is going back some start, some time
1: that's so good,
0: um well, yeah, let's let's, okay. let's
1: bring it back to a new opportunity let's talk Blake ferguson what are you expecting out of fergo this week what are the baseline uh sort of goals he has to meet in his comeback game in the nrl
0: oh mate as as far as i'm concerned um it's defense 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 mm-hmm. that's it, it, for me, his place in the first grade team is entirely based on his decision making in the defensive side of the game.
1: And the pressure's on we, because we saw Hayes Dunster come in, and by and large, that edge was pretty sound defensively. The system's were working.
0: Yeah. So the way the way that I look at it, and I've spoken about this many times before, was that if you if you save a try, it's as good as scoring a try or creating a try because it's it's six points on the scoreboard that you're stopping as opposed to six points on the scoreboard that you get. Either way, you're impacting your opposition by six points. Now, we know that Blake Ferguson can score some of the tries that a lot of other wingers couldn't score. When he's faced with uh, a defensive... Players in front of him that he finds a way to get the ball down, be it the spectacular or just throwing his body at the line. So we know what he's capable of in attack. He's the sort of player who can be a game breaker when it comes to attack. We also know that he hes, he's probably better than Micah when it comes to returning the ball from the back end of the field off a kick. So if he can get that um, second carry. Off a kick from uh, from our deep in our half, even better. However, the we don't need to go into too many details about what was happening defensively between him and Wonga, and it was it was a it had got to the stage of being a train wreck, and thankfully it was something where I think they'd only been a pairing for about two weeks. From recollection, the uh, when Wonga returned, would that be right? Two, maybe three at the most. It sounds about. Where, it sounds about the window where, that was there before yeah, they made the change. Yeah, yeah, before that change was made. So, uh, and as as BA said, it was something that um, was an issue last year, and then when it showed that that lack of communication that that lack of um, that capacity to be on the same page defensively between those two still existed that he, he made the change and ultimately that ended up being not just swapping the sides of the field for wonger but also swapping out blake and blake ferguson so for me it, everything's down to his defense and his defensive decisions if if there's issues there this week Against that, this Canberra side, then I'd almost be putting a line through Fergo for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I, I
1: don't I, think that's unreasonable. That's
0: probably, and look, that's probably me being harsh, and it may not be the way that the that BA and the coaches see it. But and, and it may also be harsh because he he uh, may be paired up alongside um, Will Pennicini, and we and this is Will's first. Stint in first grade, but this is where Fergo just has to be better. Because if he's got this uh, young debut centre playing inside, it inside where he is, um, he's the senior player. Exactly, he's the he's the he's the bloke with a couple of hundred first grade games under his belt. He has to be the one that's guiding the young player through the game. He has to be communicating to him and communicating very clearly. And if that just doesn't happen, if there are defensive deficiencies around his game, it just won't be good enough this week. So um, look, we're we're encouraged by his return. We think it's it's very unfortunate for Hayes because Hayes Hayes was oh, a, a, best a, career, a career best game against week. the
1: Titans. Yeah, scored a fantastic try off that pickup off from the kick, and uh, ran the ball for a lot of uh, gusto and impact. Um, I certainly felt like both he and, and Micah really stepped up the rucking last week. Uh, Micah making a big line break from that, and Hayes just contributing strongly throughout, both of them going well over 100 metres on the game because of it. But yeah, I feel like, you know, the and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, mate, that, you know, our success in the finals doesn't entirely, you know, uh, find itself predicated on Ferguson's form, but there is no doubt that we are a better team with Blake Ferguson fully fit and firing. So you might as well figure out whether he has the, uh, the chutzpah you know, the fortitude mentally to lift himself back up to his best and, and earn a place back in the starting team.
0: Yeah. So let's now talk about the, um, the other big out, which is uh, Mitch Moses. So the, uh, the word out of the Eels camp is that, as you spoke about before, that it's pain management. He might only be a week or two out. We've got Jake Arthur in there, in the halves, um, I probably rated. I would have rated his performance as about a, a seven out of ten last week. In that he 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 sat back and and let the forwards be guided around the field by Reed Marney. and that was possibly one of the most impressive things about last week's game was how the players performed and how Reed controlled a lot of the play out of dummy half. It was to my way of thinking, Reed's performance out of dummy half was as close to a Cameron Smith type of dummy half game as I've ever seen from Reed Marney. He was uh, what, what's your thoughts on that yeah, mate?
1: He, he was scheming constantly against the Titans and definitely was controlling the flow of the game for both his halves. Obviously Dylan did some great work as well in that game, but it was all from the uh the designation of uh Reed, who was just tearing the Titans apart through the middle, through his misdirection and guile from his ball playing and and just even as something as gentle or as benign as a, a head glance, you know, managing to to fool him that way. So yeah, he yeah. definitely he definitely was the general in that game, which is fine because no Mitchell Moses, you need someone to step up and uh, you know, we've had Gufferson do it in other games, we've had Dylan have, you know, the odd great game in that regard too. But on Friday it was
0: definitely Reed Money. Yeah, and what you saw from both of the both of the eels halves was um, quite a deal of composure. Like neither of them looked as if they needed to force the football. They weren't trying to do anything that was going to take away from what looked like the the uh, obvious game plan of winning the game through the centre. So. Um, yeah. Just bear with me, mate. I'm just relocating myself away from <laughs> the, the birds the because they decided trying to yep. go through the whistling repertoire in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so we had we had a game plan that was I thought quite obvious that we were going to win it through the forwards, lay that platform, and continue to just bend that uh, Titans middle, um, then hit the edges, and really the the role of the halves there was just to steady the team get to the kicks and um, yeah, talk, just do a lot of talking out there. And I think the vision that we saw from the broadcast coverage was of the talking that was being done by the Harbs. So my big plus to Jake Arthur out there was after he copped that early knock and he was, he was impacted by that knock. But after he copped that early knock, just playing quite composed so yeah, exactly. He, just doesn't no, he, look, he, do, he really looks phased
1: out there. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, this helps continue the growth of Dylan Brown as well, who has been in task of more responsibilities in the absence of Mitchell Moses. And we saw some really good flashes out of him against the Gold Coast Titans because Dylan, like Ferguson, is another player you get him to his best, and he is all of a sudden this huge um, factor that the opposition teams have to account for. Yeah. So with
0: the with the do you expect to see anything very different to last week's game plan? You you when you were running through the teams, you you said, okay, the starting packs there as at a hundred at full strength and the changes are um, the the ins and outs are are in the back line there. The, so the
1: addition of junior Polo gives us greater flexibility in the red zone. Um yes. we've, we've used him as a, a fulcrum many times this season and last as that uh, sort of mix-up playmaking option that teams have to account for. So I expect to see him feature. Obviously, and his ever-present offloading ability through the midfield is just a a huge danger to opposition teams. So that goes without saying. But by and large, I think you're right. The the game plan is not going to be too dissimilar to what we saw against the Titans. Um, Just play some very strong football through the middle, take the offloads when they present themselves and, and sort of get downhill from there and obviously Junior Polo is huge in that regard. The only other thing that might change this week is that we have a a greater inclusion of Quinton Gufferson out wide. Uh, It felt like the opportunities were pretty sparse for him against the Titans, barring that one play where he made the line break and and for Orton to touch, unfortunately. So maybe with Junior and Guffo in there, you might see a few different looks in the red
0: zone. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. So, um, yeah, look, all in all, I see that, Very little may change in terms of the game plan. Um, And realistically, uh, same as I thought last week, you've got a a team that's been very consistent in their results, in their form throughout the year. You've got another team who, albeit has had a couple of good recent wins, hasn't really reached any heights in their form. Uh, Parramatta would be a big scalp for the Raiders to get and would certainly put them on the march towards potential finals position. But I think given the players that they've also got out, they are going to have to lift big time. And whilst I know there are Parramatta supporters who are uh, almost (laughs) echoing their thoughts last week when they were, uh, when Mitch Moses was left out and, uh, when there were changes and it was like, oh, the sky's falling. Oh, look at look at the opposition. Look at how they're going. Um, no, ha- have a look at how your own team is going. They're going pretty damn strongly this, this season. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't continue against the Raiders with respect, but I don't see how it could continue any differently against the Raiders. I think Parramatta's still got momentum. And even accounting for a little bit of Raiders momentum that might be building, I think there's a, a win in store. So This is, this is a game uh, that
1: should win. And you know, you never consider any game an automatic victory because the NRL and sports in general love to throw up curveballs when that happens. But given who the Raiders have on the field and given who we have coming back even without Mitchell Moses, yeah, we should get the job done.
0: So what's your prediction, mate?
1: I think on the Parrot podcast, I tipped a pretty healthy victory, and you know, I think I went something on the lines of thirty-seven to ten, and I think I went for the uh, Will Pennisany triple as well. So <laughs> it just it, he has to; the pressure's on. You know, you can't have Jake Arthur and, and Sean Russell lay the table for that one, two, three spread without coming in um, and completing it for him.
0: I'm going to tip a uh, thirty-four to fourteen, and I'll tip Blake Ferguson as first try scorer.
1: Solid, solid, I like that. And um, that's uh, probably a neat way to wrap up that part of the uh, preview. We've got a few little bits of housekeeping and uh, bric-a-brac to chat about. And we'll just breeze through the uh, club's injury report before we get there. Um, Obviously, Mitchell Moses now featuring on there with a minor back fracture, TBA. He's being monitored closely by EEL staff and will be back playing as soon as possible. Brad Alfa has been in the media since... And has uh, intimated that it, you know he might have played this week and could play next week. So um, they're obviously going to take care of their number seven, who is key to our postseason charge. But evidently, it's not a serious injury, um, as opposed to some of the other things it could have been in terms of a back injury. But he's joined in the injury ward by Wiramu Greg, who has been upgraded from a potentially season-ending ankle syndesmotic injury, industry, injury not industry. Sorry, uh, and is now due back roughly rounds 23 or 24, so he could feature as a depth option for the Eels in the postseason, which is a big boost to their forward pack. And then Nathaniel Roach, who is still TBA with knee bruising, so I don't know if you've heard anything 60s, but uh, he had that awkward little uh, stall, I suppose, was when he was running the ball in his uh, one NRL appearance for the Eels this year, and we, we all fought the worst in terms of an ACL, but it, it's this nebulous knee bruising, which is haven't, hasn't been given any sort of clear timeline yet, but hopefully he's back for the 2021 season.
0: Yeah, it it would be good for those players to get back. We're just as likely, and well, it'd be just as good if we could have a resumption of the New South Wales yes. Cup competition. Although that is looking as this lockdown, in, in all likelihood, might yet go on for a, a week past the supposed uh, end date of um, of the uh, at the end of this month. Um, whether we get to the stage where we can have community football again this season, you'd have to say there's a dark cloud over that, but um, we can, you know, we can try to be positive anyway. So um, yeah, it's always good to have that depth. And, and just to that end, uh, there was of course the rumors this week that the Eels were looking to sign uh, Anthony Milford from the Broncos. Now, I went on record as saying that I was all for the signing of Anthony Milford and uh, actually my point wasn't so much about getting him for the rest of this season. (laughs) My point was actually I had him on my preliminary draft for um, uh, the post about uh, roster for next season as a a potential recruit. I'm, I'm all for
1: we do love the a reclamation project. We've reclamation, done major,
0: yeah, the reclamation project. And I think the the best reclamation projects are those people who have been almost right at the summit of the game, either in terms of their representative football or winning grand finals, but certainly being match winners in their time. And somehow their career gets stalled or sidetracked, and that can that can be for a whole whole range of reasons there's just times where players end up at the wrong club for them
1: absolutely yeah bad fits bad uh whether it's it's philosophy or schematics yep yeah yeah
0: um uh, if they've if they've moved to to go to another club it can be it can just be that their home life isn't isn't what was where they you know where they were before, so...
1: Let's be brutally honest, 60s, that the Brisbane Broncos are a bad fit for a lot of players right now.
0: Oh, they... <coughs> it's, it's almost like... You, sometimes I look at the players that they've had at their disposal over the last couple of years, and you think to yourself, how does a team with it this do, player... It doesn't add up, play? no. It go, doesn't add up. so poorly. And, I, look, I think it's fair to say that they haven't had the right players in key <laughs> positions. I I don't believe that Anthony Milford has ever been a game manager. Absolutely not. And I I think to try to...
1: Shoehorn make, him into that uh, role as game
0: manager has done from him, him, yeah. him in it's the club a Yep. Yeah, so unfortunately for him, that's been the path that his career has taken. It's, now, it looks like Parramatta has missed out on Milford. The rumours seem to be that... The arrangement has been made with the Rabbitohs. We'll see how that plays out. But I don't, just as I didn't back away from my support of the Eels recruiting Bryce Cartwright, I wouldn't back away from the uh, recruitment of Anthony Milford. And Milford I certainly has more runs on the board than Bryce.
1: To. I mean, we're talking about a guy that should have been the 2015 Clive Churchill medalist. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. And also one of the most talented young prospects in the game. Uh, and he's now only 27, so it's not like he's a you know past his best. So, if South Sydney get him, so be it. But I, I certainly would be intrigued by what he could do for Parramatta.
0: Yeah, look, I think for me, uh, I I look at someone like him and I go, he's got potential to be a centre. I just and and could then also be a backup fullback if needed. But I look at his build, I look at his attributes as a player. I don't see a. I, I see a similarity between him and Michael Jennings, and that, that might be um, our,
1: our ideal recruitment profile for a centre. Will Penicini, uh, Anthony Milford, um, both can I conveying close to that sort of athletic profile. Janko uh, Gen- yeah. obviously sort of his career is going to be looked back on in a different light now, but uh, was in his athletic prime. That that build was very good for centre. So,
0: yeah, and I and I say all of this. Because people might be, might be thinking, well, what, do you not support Tom Opechik? What, what's your story? Well, I still see Tom Opechik as a centre next year, but I, I actually look at Wonga Blake as a winger. And that's, that's just how I look at him. I, I look at his athleticism, his build, uh, some of the, the best attributes of his game, which is his ability to take the ball up in the air with his height, um, and also look at his carries from the backfield which when he's brought in sometimes as a second or third hit up after a, a kick downfield he makes some really tough meters into the defensive lines on those occasions so i look at him and i go he's a winger he's not a center and there's still some question marks around his defensive decision making as a center so i i just think he's got he's got too much raw physicality so much raw talent in his in what he brings to the game physically to be thinking that he hasn't got a place out on the edge of the game uh, like out in the edge of the field and i think for the very edge the wing is probably his spot but anyway that's just my thoughts on on how i would restructure a Parramatta team with uh anthony milford moving into the centers because like uh, the uh, inclusion of Jake Arthur, like the inclusion of Sean Russell, you're, you're talking about um, uh, this week with Will Pennicini that he's he's not ready to be the starting centre next year based on, based on the fact that he just hasn't had the exposure to first grade. Especially with the lost year last year as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. So... He was, he was playing schoolboy rugby union last year, Will Panasini. Will he's playing for King's School, schoolboy rugby union. And he's come straight from playing schoolboy football into senior football at New South Wales Cup level, as has Jake Arthur, as has Sean Russell. So the three of them have gone exceptionally well going from age football into open football against... Well, let's, let's face it, some much bigger bodies that they come up against and all have done exceptionally well. So, if I'm, as I said, if I'm looking at uh, recruitment, I see potential around Milford out in the centres, but there's probably not much point in discussing it any further at the moment because it looks like it's not going to happen.
1: Yes, sir. And unfortunately for Parramatta, they weren't the only big team in in the uh, hunt for a mid-season acquisition as it looks like the Penrith Panthers are firming on a deal with Tevita Pango Jr which will be a huge boost to their forward stocks so um.
0: mate I, am, I I hate the fact that teams can go and add to their lineups up to round 20 because look it's just it's just wrong that you're getting a team that's at the very top of the table, who can pick the eye teeth out of teams that are down at the oh, yeah, and at and the, the other Paramount, end of the table? Parramatta could in, in this money. company
1: too, because you know we're we're in a club we're a club that's in a position to do that. The top clubs can go out and find any sort of mercenary pickup they can from one of these teams that are struggling and has a guy that's clearly not going to be there next year, has signed elsewhere, but wants to go ring chasing for a premiership. Uh, so it opens up a big big can of worms. So
0: yeah. Well, as I said, I wasn't looking at Milford as a exactly. late season I don't think pickup. he's. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be in a role I'd be necessarily happy with him uh, having. I, I I say this about all the clubs. I mean, you've the other side of it too is, if I'm a Broncos supporter, if I'm a supporter of any club that's down near the bottom of the table, and another club comes in and takes one of the the more high profile or the the bigger performing players out of my team for the last part of the season, that's weakening my team when I want to be able to watch them, even if they can't make the finals, maybe pick up a few games. And I just think it's disrespectful to the supporters for a club to let go players in this back end of the season, simply because they've got a chance to... um, Pick up a few late season games with a club. I mean, in the case of Tavita Pengai Junior, he's signed now for the Bulldogs for next year, mm-hmm. and yet the Panthers are going to pick him up for a few games at the end of the season. And I think how how is that in any way um, beneficial to the Broncos other than they might get a little bit of minor salary cap relief, but not that much. That's
1: the figure they're going to save. He, he, was, he was rated at $120,000 pro rata for the remainder of the season, and the rumour is that the Broncos have agreed to pay half of that. So they've saved $60,000 of cap space that is going to expire at the end of his season.
0: As I said, I think there's very little respect for your own supporters if, you, if you're if you going around doing that. And um, maybe if they said, well, look, we weren't going to select him in first grade now anyway, that might be one thing. but why you wouldn't select him in first grade would be yeah. a, a massive question that you'd throw to the coach. And but, Jr. himself, obviously, that's their,
1: um, obviously a that's, huge yeah, pick-up for the Panthers, their, I was going to say. Um, and, and could be the difference between them winning or losing a premiership. He's that good a player. So,
0: Well, of course, the, the other side of the coin is it's already competitive to get into Penrith's first-grade team, to get into their top squad. And they've got no shortage of quality players that are running around at New South Wales cup level on a regular basis. So someone who's been part of their journey so far this year, if they decide they're going to use Pangai, someone's going to miss out. Now, how well that sits with the players there. And, uh, well, I don't know. Like if you've got a tight group and Penrith supposedly a really tight group, how do you feel about one of your mates missing out on a spot in the team in the back half of the season when they've done it with that roster up till now?
1: It, it opens up some interesting questions because, like you said, you, you talk about you know team and, and squad loyalty and rewarding the guys that put you in a position to compete for the minor premiership. Um, but on the flip side, you know, getting a mercenary like Pengo Junior, you know, who is of such a rare quality in terms of the gifts he possesses, like. You, you kind of you get tempted by it, but maybe that leads to instability in the squad. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And I would not be shocked if Pango Jr. ends up being the difference for assuming he goes there. It ends up being the difference in a couple of the big games Pampers play down the track because he's that good. But equally, it could be a bit of a destabilizing influence given his uh, uh, issues in that regard over the last few years. So something interesting to monitor. Can't say I'm a huge fan of the whole, the whole uh, concept of. The top teams been able to pick the eyes out of the the teams out of comp- out of the competition now, but the NRL created this monster, and I can't blame Penner for playing the game by the rules that the NRL laid out.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, unfortunately it's one of those things where if it's there, clubs are going to take the opportunity to get mm-hmm. a player always. That always add to their roster, and we can put up our protestations and and. And say how much we don't like something and how wrong it is, but it is what it is, and um, that, that's how it's going to play out. So, yes, um, made it. This is this has been. It's this has turned into uh, a, quite another uh, massive podcast in terms of the discussion topics. There is something that I'd like people to be thinking about, maybe coming into as we as we come towards next week's podcast, and it's something I want to. Raise. Hopefully we can get Joey Grimer onto the podcast next week. But I want to talk about seeing as though the competition's now being played as away matches basically for everyone. Topic I'd like people to start thinking about, when, we, and we'll be talking about it next week, will be your favourite and least favourite away venues. So... Um, we talk- obviously as Parramatta fans. We love being at Bankwest Stadium. Prior to that, we mm-hmm. loved Parramatta Stadium, and some of us who are older uh, may have actually loved Cumberland Oval, despite its primitive facilities. That's more, but yeah. But now, with every every match being an away game for the majority of the of the Premiership sides, what's your your most favourite uh, away venue? Your least favourite away venue? And and simply maybe those that you that you do rate and those that you don't rate. So everyone have, can have a bit of a think about that, and we'll we'll bring that into our discussion next week. Just looking ahead,
1: sounds good, mate. <clears throat> and I think there's a couple of easy uh, hated venues that we um we're all going to pile onto. Um, yes, some, <laughs> some of them featuring uh, arc rivals and whatnot.
0: Uh, some oh, I of, think. That's- Definite, that's definite.
1: <laughs> but I'm going I'm to be very interested to hear what everyone likes, uh, where they like to go to, because once again, there's some obvious candidates too. Some of the newer stadiums have really earned a, a, a claim to being a crown jewel in the NRL's uh, uh, provinces uh, for being cathedrals of the game, and that goes across Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. But I think there's some also some of the older stadiums and stadiums that might not exist anymore that might be uh, popular venues to have gone to for games.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw in a couple of um, favourites and not-so-favourites from the past. So I'm going to look at the current and also the past, the, those venues that are, are no longer used in the uh, first-grade football anymore and how I viewed those. So that's a little bit of a teaser for our next week. And as I said, I'm hoping we can get Joey uh, on next week because I, I'd like to throw some questions to him about the English version of rugby league grounds. I mean, you talking about you about cathedrals over in
1: England. Talk about uh, foot, footy cathedrals, and geez, England would have something like Wembley and whatnot. So, very interesting to see what Joey can bring to the discussion in that regard.
0: Yeah, yeah, it should be should be an interesting topic. So, have a bit of a think about that, people. And if you've got any questions that you'd maybe Hashtag ask Joey. Uh, like us to address in uh, either with Joey himself or, or or any topics that relate to some of the grounds. Um, it might be, uh, your favorite Tucker from, uh, th- some of these grounds that you can get somewhere and not elsewhere. The there's mighty, mighty wenty hot roll. hot dog or, yeah. or, Pluto pup or, um, a burger that's available. I'm sure that there's going to be, um, some people might even like the old Ringrose Park chips and gravy. The wenty
1: roll baby. That's the one, the, the timeless classic. Or
0: the wenty burger, the it burger, mate, at, at Ringrose Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always um,
1: always uh, fun to hear those sort of things. So, yeah, make sure you uh, you drop us a line for your favourite venues away, your homes away from home, if, if you want to call it that, the places you'd love to go and watch footy at outside of Cumberland, Parramatta or Bank West, and then your favourite tucker or grub at the footy.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bit of a fun topic yeah, to get good, into, mate.
1: Good, so. good, um good way to spark up the conversation for next week after we hopefully uh, dust off the Raiders. And on that note, I think it's a pretty nice place to wrap up another lengthy spiel that we've had between the two of us. Um, As always, thank you for stopping by. hope everyone is keeping well in these times. I know lockdown can take a toll. As always, if you want to jump on and join the conversation on TCT, don't be afraid. Um, We're always there to have a yarn. And yeah, uh, stay safe, stay well, and we'll catch you guys next week.
0: See ya.